loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. tells me so for the Bible for the Bible tells me so sweet manna of heaven Precious Jesus, if there's anything in our hearts that is not in, that is cutting off fellowship with you this morning, would you rip that out of us? Help us to navigate through your scriptures today. Help us to hold your word up as the most value authority of our lives today. Uh, mahalo. Mahalo for your aloha. For us sinners who get plenty heva. Redeem us in your son. Empower us by your spirit. Who needs empowering this morning? Say amen. amen. And God's ohana says, Amen. In 2008, I, I, I gloriously married my Tennessee woman, Lane Tomaselli, all right? Yeah, only a few of you clapped because only a few of you married. All right, all right. But I married her, and we decided after our honeymoon to do one trip. Honeymoon's over. You guys know those days, yeah? We're at Pauana. Honeymoon is real life now, and we're about to enter our first year of marriage, and I had a weekend off from the church I was serving at, and we decided to go to a place everybody said had good camping grounds. Now, the problem with this is, uh, like, the way we camp in Hawaii, you know what I'm saying? No more tent time. Can I get a witness out there, right? So I promise you, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, because transparency is key when it comes to the gospel. Can I get a witness, right? So we, we, we borrowed a tent. And we went to Zion National Park in Utah. It's a beautiful park. In fact, they have tourism over there. They have a bus that will take you to these different hikes. And we get there and uh, we camp. First off, we had our first godly argument. Can I get a witness there as a married couple, right? And when I mean godly as a Kanaka, all right, as a Hawaiian, and, and just man, sinful man in general, godly words did not come out of my mouth when we're putting this tent together. Right? Everybody perfect in the room. You don't know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, there were some unholy F words that came out of those uh, conversations. And it may not have come out of my perfect Tennessee Southern Belle right over here, right? But I know her heart today, right? Guarantee her heart was saying what I was saying verbally. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there was a point, babe, you can even tell them. My shoe got stuck in one of the poles. Oh, we're putting, oh, your shoe. 
And so I was like, I'm over this. Ah, I'm throwing things, yanking things, you know, and God's still working on my anger issues back then, you know. And, and we get there. It took us what's supposed to take five minutes. It took us about an hour, all right? No judge, all right? All right? All right? Unless you like, feel bad about your own pillow key, all right? You can judge, right? Then that's the case. But the reality is, right, we get here. We're learning how to be married. We're enjoying camp. And then things just get, to get, things just get worse. Can I get a witness out there? Like, first time camping together, can't put up a tent. I mean, I'm telling you, when we grew up here, we never have tent. We sleep right. If it rains, we, we find the nearest tree or somebody's car. Can I get a witness, Orlino, right? We just jump in there. And, and, and this is what happens. So we get there, and hey, we're going to hike. Okay, I want to let you guys know this. All right, nothing in me looks like I hike. Can I get a witness out there? <laughs> Hawaiians, Hawaiians are hot. We go hike, and when we go to the shortest place, they got like seven hike trails. There's even Angel's Landing. If you've never heard of Angel's Landing, it's the most dangerous hike in the world. It's up a couple thousand feet. People fall off the cliff every year, die. Many of them don't survive. They die. And I'm mean, like, uh-uh, this Hawaiian ain't going over there. You know? And, and you know, the, the, the Tennessee girl she is, she never grew up with yuppies. Can I get a witness over there? Or, or, uh, or she had rednecks in her family, but they were all flat ground hunters where they're from in Tennessee. So me and her are like, nah, we're going to go to the easiest hike. So we said there was a place called the Emerald Pools. All right, sounded nice, right? Emerald for the color green and all that, certain kind of green. We get to the, we get to the pools, and I'm excited because it's only, you know, it's supposed to be only one mile, right? We get there, and there's this thing, if you did not know, called a sign, right? Yeah? And the sign tells you where to go, right? And so for me, you know, I'm like the Kanakas of the I'm smelling my way. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? So I'm just following where all the crowd going, okay? So instead of, you had a narrow road, right? And you had a wide road, right? And so most like every sinner, I took the wide road, right? The easy road. But for some reason, we started going up in elevation. And the wide road became more narrow, By the time we realize this, we are walking three miles up a mountain that's almost a thousand feet tall. Okay? Understanding, I know, I know I'm a big boy, but back then I was about 60 pounds even heavier. You can even ask my wife. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what happened. Some Kanaka blood would like come through my veins, and I started running up the hill. Like I just, I was open wide. I got this. I got this, right? I get up there. And I am, like, we don't have water bottles, nothing. I am stinking thirsty, guys, and all that. And you best believe where I come from. Whatever fresh, fresh water pond get, I'm jumping right in that water. So we get up to this third level of the pools, the Emerald Pools. And I know we went the wrong way already. I, my wife, she's judging me. Pray for her heart, right? She's, she's stowing stones on me. She teasing me. And once we get up to the top Emerald Pool, I see water. Kanaka, you guys know what this means, right? But what I forget is this is not Hawaiian water. This is northern Haole water. So you know what, this is not, I mean, like, I can handle ice pond. Promise you that. I can even handle soba pond and lele. I can handle that, bro. I grew up. Like, Kanako, what are you talking, Hawaiian? I get them. Well, you've not been to Utah, Hawaiian. <laughs> Promise you that. Bah, this Hawaiian, 
leave it as her. I go over there, I go on my knees, I go on my knees, and then I go, yes, thank you, Lord. Instead of trying to fill the water with my hand, right, I go here. Ha! I swear the water was below zero, the way I felt, right? <laughs> and I never get, hey, big boy, I was about 360 back then, huh? I never moved so fast in my life, all right? <laughs> and what made it more worse, listen to me, I'm not trying to make you laugh or laugh, what made it more worse, we, two t- we are 1,000 feet up in elevation, people. What does that mean? It's colder up there in the air, too. And so, like, I'm getting one, what, what Uncle Sai on Duck Dynasty said, I get one brain sneeze right now, about now, yeah? And I'm like, Hawaiian, we got to get down because this Hawaiian is about to fall off this cliff, all right? So I want to show you a couple pictures, all right? Here's the first picture, all right? The first picture, this is where we're supposed to be. This was literally one mile from that entrance, okay? But again, there's this thing called signs. Yeah, we're going to read them again. You know, the suggestions. Yeah, right you know what I'm saying? And so, but, see how it goes downhill? Yeah. We're not, we wasn't going downhill at this point. Let me show you where we ended up. What's the first thing come to your mind? Beautiful. Swim. You can try swim, Hoyne. Listen to me. It was breathtaking. It was breathtaking. Like... They literally took care of my bread. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Sorry if you newcomers, people, my members help me preach every Sunday for some reason. I don't know. They act up. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> Listen to me. It was breathtaking. And though it was the wrong way, I had to experience the wrong way to experience beauty. Sometimes in our lives, we get to a place where walking with Jesus becomes dry. Right? Desert, Zion, honeymoon over. It's dry, bro. But there's sometimes that in that dryness, God provides some soothing water to our journey. I heard a preacher says this. A lot of people who are word-driven, Bible-driven, alone, dry up. On the other side, there's a lot of people who are spirit-driven, water-driven, filled with the spirit, and they well up. But when you have the, wa- the water and the word together, he said this, we grow up. It's, so, it's impossible to walk with Jesus of understanding the written word and the living word. It works hand in hand. We both need the Word of God and the Spirit of God to illuminate our, our, our na'au, our pu'uvai, so that, right, we may experience a genuine kind of Christianity. You guys know my story. I grew up in a church where everything was about emotion. Not all of it was wrong, but when the key factor of our lives is emotion, what emotion tends to do, it tends not to line up with Scripture. And what happened in my walk with Jesus, it was based on what I brought to the table. So if I went to Sunday school, if I went to church, if I did not smoke drugs or do drugs or did not drink or did not do, 
any kind of things that I was in pretty good shape. But I found myself, if you're like me, I found myself always trying to please God. And what I realized when I was 18 years old, and a redneck from Alabama named Vance Pittman invested in my life, he loved on me, and he told me a significant truth. Zeke, Christianity is not about what you do. Following Jesus is what Jesus has already done for you. That revolutionized my life. This morning, we're walking through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. We are in expository church, meaning we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. In the last five years, we have, by God's grace, accomplished the books of Ephesians, the book of Acts, the book of Philemon, the book of Titus, and now we're walking just slowly, verse by verse, through the Gospel of Mark. And if there's anything you hear about the Gospel of Mark, is that the Mark, the author, right, his main focus, scholars would say other things about the theme, but for me, the theme of the Gospel of Mark was about Jesus. Like, it's called the quickest gospel because it's the shortest gospel. But what Mark does theologically, he just gives the highlights of the life of Jesus. He actually doesn't talk much about his disciples by name that much. There's some of it, but he... Normally, his writing was all about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what does that mean to us. Today's message is about Jesus. If you're new to our church, we are a Christ-centered, gospel-preaching, gospel-urgent church. We're not a big church by any means, but our hearts is never fruitfulness. Our hearts is faithfulness. The fruit will come if it comes. God is sovereign in that we would just be encouraging to encourage you to be faithful. Just like brother Mark, who was on Kolohe Boy. I can't go through all the backgrounds for those of you who are new. A Kolohe Boy, a rascal brother, right? God redeems him. We don't even know if he even saw Jesus because he is only noticed in the book of Acts as the cousin of Barnabas, a godly man. But we know that he talks a lot about Jesus. And maybe that is the difference between the Gospels. Maybe because he was the only brother who never walked with Jesus physically that he wanted to talk more about Jesus because of this transformation that has taken place in his life. We're at a point last week where Jesus feeds nearly 15 to 20,000 people. People will look heavily on the idea that, man, he did a wondrous work in those 20,000 people. But what they would skip over, as we learned last week, is how he rested with the 12 people. I think we are so consumed with big numbers that we forget about the people who have walked faithfully with us. That small little group, that small little 12 that Jesus walked with. Because it said in the text that they didn't just recognize Jesus, they recognized his followers. And so we said the truth last week, right? It's not up on the screen, but I want to just say it off the top of my head. We said the truth. When people come in contact with you, right? Can they connect their experience with you to Jesus? Let me say that again. When people come in contact with you, can they connect their experience with you to Jesus? May our lives be Christ-focused, Christ-centered, gospel-urgent. Why? Because it's about Jesus. 
And so we come to Mark chapter 6 after the feeding of, it's called 5,000, but literally theologians believe it was 20,000. And we come to a place where we see Jesus do a miraculous thing. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word as we continue through reading through the gospel of Mark, starting in verse 6, uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Mark the author. By inspiration of God the Father, says this. Say that one word with me. One, two, three. Immediately. We're moving, man. We're moving quick. Immediately. Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Well, he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to what? Hey, hold that bugger tight today. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night. This is around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. The fourth watch hour of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they, brought it, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they, were all, for they all saw him and were what? Terrified. But, say that word again, immediately. We're moving quickly. He spoke to them and said, help me out. Take heart. It is I. Say it again. Do not be afraid. Hold that strong to your pu'uvai today. Take heart. It is I, Jesus. Whoo! Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves from last story, but their hearts were, say that H word, hardened. Oh, precious Lamb of God, precious Jesus, would you become precious to us today? You are to me. If anybody need honey, honey, and lomi, lomi in this room, would you do it, Father God? Holy Spirit of God, have your way. We don't need to go through the motions of church, God. We need to experience you this morning by the preaching of your word. We receive you. Correct us where there needs to be correction. Lift us up where you see fit. In Christ Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen. You may be seated. In our text today, we see a famous account of Jesus walking on water. Mark does not focus on the disciples, right? But prim- primarily the disciple Peter, as Matthew does in his account where Peter walks on water. Again, the gospel of Mark is about Jesus. So, so, so Mark points everybody to Jesus. He leaves Peter out of this account, as Matthew puts in. Nothing wrong with Matthew's account, but this was Mark's heart towards Jesus. This is consistent with Mark's writing being primarily focused on Jesus rather than any other disciple. Can I get a witness out there, right? right? When we sing, what a beautiful name, I'm hoping you're not saying, oh, what a beautiful kahu we have. I know I'm beautiful, but, you know, I hope you're not thinking that. What a beautiful uh, security group we have back there, right? Actually, Connie looked kind of scary to me. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? 
All right? No, no, no. May we be like Mark where it's about Jesus. I want to remind you, everyone in this room, that any message we preach is always centered on Jesus. Can I get a witness out there, right? This is the definition of being both Christ-centered and a gospel-preaching church, that we are centered on the word, the doctrine of Christology, the doctrine of the study of Christ. This is one reason and the most important reason why Mark was chosen for this book, that God would make himself known through his son, Jesus. So what I want to see, the title of our message is Jesus Walks. And I want you to see four ways Jesus lived out his life in our text. Number one, Jesus walks with authority. Jesus walks with authority. I want you to see the verse. In verse 45, it's very clear. Mark is moving quickly, and Mark says this, that Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. Let me tell you about In the Greek language, this word made... Hear me out. It's not a suggestion, Hawaiians. If you think about it, could you go in the boat? Like, like, I hear this doctrine where it says Jesus was a gentleman. He would never crush your will. Let me tell you what. Jesus was also God in the flesh. It says here, I want you to read it. Jesus made. This is authority. Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. Right? To Bethsaida. They're going more north up Galilee. And then he also dismissed a crowd of 15 to 20,000. Can I get a witness out there, right? Jesus has authority. Jesus walks with authority. And, and listen to me. One who has authority has the following to do, the, to do this. Number one, they are able to gain influence and respect. Why did they listen to Jesus? Because they respected him. He was an influential leader. We know from chapters 1 to chapter 6, Jesus did amazing signs and wonders that no other man. Secondly, he was a, they are able to gather people. Now, if you want to plant a church, if you want to start a new ministry, this is one of the things that you got to be able to do. Right In the area of authority, he was able to gather people. Number three, they are able to provide for people. In our last story, Jesus provided fish and bread. He multiplied it. He even said there was 12 baskets left. In our story from last week, Jesus provided for people. And lastly, they are able to multiply people. How do they multiply people? We know from this very text, things begin to move forward. He begins to multiply disciples, not just from the 12, the 12 inside, but we learn later on in church history that this 20,000, some of them would end up following the disciples of Jesus. Jesus had all these qualities that made a great authoritative leader. And through Jesus, all these qualities, right, he had. Jesus was not just a normal man with authority, but he was God in the flesh. I want to share another doctrinal word with you, and it's the supremacy of Christ. This is what it means with, when it comes to the supremacy of Christ. It is a doctrine surrounding the authority of Jesus and, not, and his God nature. In the simplest terms, to affirm the, the supremacy of Christ is to affirm that Jesus is what? God. Right? He had authority because he was God. 
In Colossians chapter 1, it's not up on the screen, but write it down. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul plainly says it this way, that Jesus is over all things, right? There's not enough food. Jesus is over all things. There is not enough money in Hawaii to plant churches. Jesus is above all things. Dad gum, I can't pay for my bills. Jesus is above all things. Dad gum, I can't stand my spouse this morning. Jesus is above all things. Can you say it with me? One, two, three. Jesus is above all things. He's above my health. He's above my criticism. He's above my controlling ways. He's above all things because he is Jesus. He has authority. He walks with authority. Right? In the prophecies of Isaiah, it says that he would be born a simple, humble way, but he would walk with authority. Number two, Jesus walks with humility. Look at verse 46. There's a reason why Jesus dismissed the followers and the, cro- and the crowd, his followers and the crowd, because he went to do one thing. Help me out. Pray. Pray. This is very significant. This is two out of the three times Mark uses this term in the Gospel of Mark. We see it in chapter 1, and now we're seeing it in chapter 6, that Jesus gets away by himself, and he does exactly what he tells his disciples to do with him Last story, last week, rest. How does Jesus rest with the Father? He prays. He went to pray. And anything we know about prayer, prayer is always a sign of humility. Can I get a witness, right? The one reason why we pray is because there's issues in our lives. Nothing wrong with that, but our issues humble us. And what prayer does, it humbles us even more. His authority was the result of his humility. The life of Jesus from birth to death was a life of humility. He wasn't born in the Hilton Hotel. Can I get a witness out there? Right? He was probably born more close to one Hawaiian grass shack. Can I get a witness out there? Right? He didn't, look, he didn't die a pretty death. He was humbled to the cross. He walked with humility. Listen to this application of truth. Spiritual leadership it's not about authority. It's about humility. Can I get a witness out there? If you want to be a well, if you want to be a great leader, learn to humble yourself. If not, God will. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, humble yourself. If not, God will. No, no, say it like that. God will. Are you like the satire in there? The sarcasm, man. Yeah? God will. Spiritual leadership is not about authority, it's about humility. Jesus models this for us through prayer. Here are a few scriptures on prayer that humbles me today. Psalm 34 says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Can I get a witness out there, right? Everyone has experienced this prayer one way or another. Can I get a witness, right? Isn't that true? We have all been or are going through this very situation right now, right? We need God to deliver us. This text should humble you, should humble us. At the same time, this text should give us hope. James 5, 16 says this, that the prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is what? Working. Every morning from Monday through Friday, also Saturday, Sunday morning, Saturday we take a Sabbath. 
but we pray right here at the church at 808. Monday through Friday and Sunday, we pray 808 prayers. We're praying for this state, or for some of us who are Hawaiians, we believe this is still a kingdom. We pray for this kingdom. We pray for the people that we're connected with, not those just near to Christ, but also those that are far from Christ. We pray, right? We pray, we pray, we pray, because we believe, just like our sending church taught us, that we don't work before we pray. But help me out, that prayer is the work then God works. It's a powerful statement, not out of the, the facade of just going through and saying it every week, but it's true that prayer works. And the application truth is true, that spiritual leadership is not about authority, it's about humility. Rick Warren says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I want to say that again, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Mark does not give details what Jesus said in his prayer, but we can assume from the gospel of John in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that God makes known some of the things he's praying. John 17 says this, sanctify them in what? The truth. Who is he talking about when he says them? Us. Y'all. We. Right? He's talking about sanctify them in the truth because your word is what? Truth. Everything we do out of the overflow is the result of this sanctification right here. If someone don't know how to pray when they're called upon to pray, that means they're not in the word. They're not sanctified. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Listen to me. This is not a show on Sunday morning. This is an opportunity for our hearts to be checked and get right with the living Savior. We need his sanctification. We don't need him just to bless us uh, uh, monetarily. We need him to bless us spiritually so that we can identify this worldly world. We need his sanctification. I believe this was constant prayer from Jesus in his, to his disciples and for his disciples and for the world. And what's about to happen in our story is that these disciples are about to experience some sanctification through a storm. Right? How many of you can, how many of you can concur with that, right? My greatest moments of sanctification is through a storm. Can I get a witness out there, right? I know this as a cow. Because I get calls all week long. Man, pray for me. This morning I had it with some of our leaders, right? When there is a storm, that's the way God sanctifies. And, and, and there's two ways to respond to it. If we're not sanctified in his word, we can be immature about the storm. Can you go in this? We can blame everybody else about the storm. We can even lie about that individual. Or we can use that storm to allow God to do what only God can do in our lives. Heal us, grow us, mend us. Number three, Jesus walks supernaturally. Now, a lot of preachers today will stay on this, especially prosperity gospel preachers, they will stay hard on this verse, verses 47 to verse 50, and there's a lot of meat in this text. We see in verse 47, Jesus is on the land, and the disciples are at sea. In verse 48, Jesus saw Right, scholars believe what he saw from the land to the sea was a 10-mile radius distance. Only something supernatural can do that, right? Jesus saw their affliction. He saw the storm coming their way. And Jesus, in verse 49, Jesus even saw them terrified. 
And listen to me. They weren't terrified of the storm that was coming their way for the sake of coming their way. What had happened was you have to read further in for context. We learned last week that these gentlemen had the greatest opportunity from their ministry. Jesus told them, anybody remember? To start with an R, ends with an S. Say it with me. Rest. But they were so consumed, based on the verse, of telling Jesus all they have done. I've healed this person. I've done this person. I've done this. I've done that. Let me tell you something. I'm a football coach. And the one thing that players will always want to do on Huddle, everybody know what Huddle is? It's a website with all their plays and their video and film. They always highlight a circle around their body on all the good plays they do. That gum, I think, I wish they would be consistent with the opposite side of their life. Would you highlight the crap that you do too? Sorry, it's Ohana Church, we talk like that. It's contextual. Um, would you? Would you highlight the bad things you didn't know? Because we are prone to always say, hey, this is what I did, Hawaiian. Look at what I did. And just like a faithful coach, right? Go to play 67. Look what you didn't do. Right? This is all of our lives. Like we could point, man, shame on those disciples. Guys, we're in the same boat. Shame on us for highlighting the great times, right? And here's a lesson to Jesus walking on water. We see the difference between time spent with God and time not spent with God. When Jesus tells these disciples to rest with him, all they want to do is talk about their ministry up in the earlier verses. Not rest with him. So when the storm comes, because they did not rest with Jesus, the automatic overflow of not resting with Jesus is being terrified to death. Doesn't it sound like us today? When we don't spend time with Jesus, we're terrified about everything. When we don't spend time with Jesus, we do things that don't look like Jesus. And these disciples are learning what it looks like when you do not rest with Jesus. And let me tell you, that storm was nobody else but Jesus. Remember, we learned the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ. The storm wasn't coming by its own agenda. Hello? The storm was coming because God in his supreme nature allowed that storm to come. And when they don't recognize rest with Jesus, how are they going to recognize terror this storm? Listen to me. God does not come just like a baby in a basket. Goo goo gaga. God comes like a storm. God is not just gracious and merciful. God is also wrathful. God doesn't come trying to tickle your ears and make you feel better about your sin in church on Sunday morning. God comes like a storm. He ravishes your heart because he wants to remind you that your rest is not being afraid of the storm. Your rest is in Jesus so that when the storm comes, you'll be reminded that's nobody else but Jesus. He is supreme over all things. But Kahu, you don't know my life. That's all right. I know the life of Christ. 
His grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. Here's an application of truth. When ministry becomes our main focus, Jesus will always replace, will be replaced by it, and we will no longer recognize him as our source for ministry. Let me say that again because there should be plenty of amens in this room. When ministry becomes our main focus, Jesus will always be replaced by it, and we will no longer recognize him as, a, as our source for ministry. What am I saying about this? A lot of people come and go in this church. We have all the agendas, all the strategies. You can think of, we have the best speakers and preachers and people to invest in the church and tell us how to close the back door of the church so people stop slipping out of the church. Let me tell you that. The issue is not the back door. The issue is people understanding the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not you do. The gospel is you be. And we come to an understanding that Jesus, look at me, this is so, so powerful. I want you to feed in onto this, all right? Jesus says words that reminded Isaac, right? Let's go back, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob of their rest. This is what he says in the text. Look at it. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid, right? Could you imagine? The God of the universe, who spoke the earth into existence, drops a bomb on you and says, don't worry about it. I am the storm. I got this. Do not be afraid. And isn't it kind of interesting Last week, we learned that 20,000 people recognized Jesus and his followers. But at one glimpse moment, those that walked with him for two and a half years at this point did not recognize their Savior. You could be doing church today, and you could be missing out on genuine rest with the Father. But there's hope in this text. Because number four, Jesus walks with sinners. Can I get a witness out there, right? Like Jesus didn't just go, okay, whatever, brother. Whatever. You know, like how we go with people? Whatever. They like act that way. Whatever. You know? Jesus is totally opposite of us. Verse 51, 52 says this, and he got into the boat with them. And the wind, what? Ceased. It died. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were, what? Hardened. Why didn't they understand the feeding of 5,000 to 20,000 people? Because their hearts were hardened. Why were their hearts hardened? Because you read early up in the text, they were more consumed than what they did for Jesus versus what Jesus has done for them. Every Christian goes through this. And I find hope in this passage. I find hope in this word because I am not different from these men. And Jesus, being the good shepherd that he is, continues to show compassion on men with hardened hearts. These men weren't impressed with the feeding of 15 plus thousand people. 
And sometimes we don't get impressed when we see a small little thing taken care of. That Jesus is the, they weren't even impressed by the calming of the sea. We know it because the text says their hearts were hardened. I want you to see how Dr. Aiken describes this. He says, the disciples received no rebuke from their master, the compassionate shepherd. He knows they still have much to learn and endure. He will not give up on them. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, God's not giving up on you. Tell your other neighbor, hey, God is not giving up on you. Listen to me. Again, he knows they still have much to learn and endure. He will not give up on them. Praise God. He did not give up on us in our ignorance and hardness either. Listen to me. Thank God that Jesus is the one whom we should have our faith in. He has proved himself over and over and over again that he is a good God. So where do we go from here? How do we respond to this, right? Simple song, come to the altar. Come to Jesus today. There's a few ways you can respond to this song. Number one, our elders are coming up right now, our alaka'i team. And if you need to be prayed over, if you need any sort of healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, you need to talk through salvation, what that looks like, or a calling that God is placing on your life, come and pray with them. Secondly, if you need to get right with someone in this room, if you got pilakia, right, differences, conflict, hakaka, with someone in this room, go to them, make it right. Lastly, you could stand where you are, worship right there in the spirit. Sing these words as a declaration of God's faithfulness to you. Amen. If you understand what I just said, say I.